Welcome back to the second hour of the show. Good to be with you. Thanks for being part of this community, the Tobler Show community, along with Fax, uh, Max. I am Randy Tobler. Fax, what, what was I thinking? Fax Moisey. Well, uh, Fax Moisey. My alter ego, Fax Moisey. The- Fax Moisey and the Conspiracy Theorists. It sounds like a rock group. <laughs> I like it. Oh, man. No, I, you know, we talked a little bit with Scott Powell uh, last hour about being true to the truth. I think that's really important. Now, you, and that's not to say an arrogance about the truth and, and expounding it when you're talking to someone, because you can get in trouble that way saying, I know this to be true and this is where I stand and this is the line in the sand. And, you know, I think you need to always, this was, this was Lord Fauci's mistake. I think Fauci's a bright guy. I give him a lot of credit for a lot of heavy lifting done during the HIV crisis in the early days. And, and, you know, he is a smart immunologist and I can't deny that. I think, though, he started believing what they said about him. And instead of tempering what he saw as the truth and what he should have known better is a changing playing field when you're dealing with a novel virus, he made declarative statements without qualifying them. And that's always a mistake. But there are certain truths. And and one truth that I know to be true, and I'm standing by it till the dying day, is that I... I may get it wrong from time to time, but I'm making the best faith, best good faith effort relying on the most objective, qualified and verifiable and repeatable evidence that this is what appears to be true. And and among my truths are that there's a higher power that's A, looking out for me and B, wants the best for us and me. Now, that may be rose-colored glasses, but I don't know. I think life's experience, if you look back at the things that could have been that weren't, the close calls that didn't happen, the doors that opened when you didn't expect them to, and the doors that closed, and you're thankful they did in retrospect, though you wish they would have opened at the time, you can't but wonder if there's not a little guiding hand here or there. At any rate, I think... America has lost its ability to look upward because we're spending too much time looking inward, if you know what I mean. And I think that's what Scott was getting at. A lot of people that act out, that are in one another's faces, that uh, don't want to have a civil conversation, but yet make assumptions based on profiles, etc. And frankly, act selfishly and without grace and compassion to others, clearly have lost the perspective of looking upward because they're only looking inward. You know, I wrote when my dad passed last week, I wrote a Facebook post. This is one of these things, Max, you'll find interesting. I, I wrote a, by the way, I have to let you know, Waleed Ferris is coming up uh, next segment, guys. So tell your friends who want to know the truth from a guy who has insider information about world events, not only Middle East, but wherever there's crisis, wherever there's conflict, wherever there's frankly evil in the world, Waleed knows it. He's been a past, uh, you know, consultant to Congress on this um, these matters. He was with the Defense of Democracies, uh, and you see him on Fox News. It's always a pleasure to talk to him. He'll be coming up at 25 after so dad passed peacefully last thursday evening dad was getting very very uh, frail and fragile and uh, it was difficult to watch that happen he fell asleep and stopped breathing and um you know that was probably the best 
thing that could happen because he had a couple of health threats that could have been catastrophic ends. Um, and while we all miss him, we, you know, we celebrate people that are givers, not receivers. And that was my dad. So I wrote on my Facebook post the next morning. It says, God is my witness. I wrote, dad is, I wrote a bunch of stuff. And I said, you know, dad always gave triple what he received. That was his nature to elevate people, to, to give and not receive. And that's was, it was hard to get dad to take a drink out of the most expensive scotch. He always wanted to make sure everyone else had a pour of the scotch before he had one. That was dad. And I wrote it triple than he received. So, you know, I'm doing afternoon drive radio in Columbia, Missouri now from four to six and the Eagle and then in Jeff City on KWS there. And so I was, we were busy with funeral preparations, everything on Friday afternoon, Max, there was a radiothon going on Thursday and Friday to support Children's Hospital in Columbia. And I was supposed to do that. Well, I, I couldn't, of course, because of the, the, the happenings. So I figured I wanted to, in tribute to dad and, and in honor of him, I wanted to call in and make a donation to the Children's Hospital there in Columbia at Mizzou. Uh, my daughter's had a great experience there. She's having a great experience with our little Evie today as we speak at Children's Hospital. Got flown there from from uh, uh, the uh, Fort Leonard Wood the other day. At, at any rate, I called in and I called in the second hour of the show on Friday and I said, hey, I want to make a $500 donation in, in memory of my dad and in tribute to him. And you know what they said, Max? Caterpillar of Columbia was tripling the donation. They were matching no way. triple. That gives me way. chills. <laughs> and I had just that morning written that dad gave back triple. Now, you know, you could say, oh, that's just, that's just circumstance and happenstance. I don't know. It, um, you just got to wonder. Still giving There's, back triple is the point. Yeah, but Still you know, those, those things that happen, there, there's a high, and I had no knowledge that that was the triple, the, the giving, uh, triple the match hour, right? I had no no knowledge of that. So we, we, we targeted it for the music therapy program there at the hospital because dad, of course, ran the instrumental music department at Lindbergh uh, School District for years and years and years. And uh, I did see you know, when he retired, they called remembrances of him, by the way, on yeah. like your Lindbergh Facebook. Yeah. I mean, people were really moved. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, also, as I told you, my condolences uh, when, yeah, when we you. heard last week. And uh, and as I told you also privately, he raised a good son. So. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yeah, I can't begin to measure up to my dad. You know, dad was best man. We worked together in the music business a lot. Best man, best friend. And um, but there were so many people, He and you'll get a kick out of this, Max. When he retired at Lindbergh, they gave him, you know, in his retirement party, it was a it was a Mr. Holland's Opus party. Remember that movie? Oh, yeah, Richard Dreyfus, yeah. right? A great, a great movie. Yeah. I, to me, that's one of the classics. I don't know. That was one of his best works, you know. Um, so at any rate, yeah, he launched a thousand uh, professional journeys in music and uh, theater and others. So at any rate, a little bit about Paul. And uh, we miss him, but uh, his legacy lives on. And that's always very, very important. Uh, hey, I wanted to uh, play something for you and get your opinion, ladies and gentlemen. We were talking about truth and truth seeking and calling balls and strikes because, you know, that's what I do. That's what we do. That's what conservatism is. It's, it's, it's seeking the truth, recognizing it. And wherever it is, routing, rooting out, routing out uh, falsehoods. So here's Bill Barr. Uh, with an interview with Lester Holt about the day that, um, you know, he was telling the day he resigned 
And uh, it's very telling about Donald Trump's temperament, I think. And it's had me, left me scratching my head about support for him in 24, but maybe not. You, you, you weigh in. Here it is. All this stuff was bull****. And uh, about election fraud. And, uh, you know, it was wrong to be shoveling it out the way his team was. And he started asking me about different theories, and I had the answers. I was able to tell him, this is wrong because of this. You're trying to set him straight. Yes. And, and, and you know, he listened. He, he, he was obviously getting very angry about this. I said, okay, well, look, I, I understand you're upset with me, and I'm perfectly happy to tender my resignation. And then, boom. He slaps the desk. He slapped the desk, and he said, accepted, accepted. And then, boom, he slapped it again, accepted. Go home. Don't go back to your office. Go home. You're done. Now, I think we'll all agree that Bill Barr, you know, boy, he appointed Durham at the right time, just at the very end there, so that he could have this ongoing, the Durham probe, which continues to peel back the layers of the conspiratorial onion that uh, started during the Trump campaign and continued through the early part of his pre- well, through the entire presidency. Um, and he's not done yet. That was a bar move. Other bar moves, you know, in, in the wake of the Horowitz report, he, he said there was no no collusion here. And the left said, well, no, that's just because of the report. I think that it, objectively we can say Barr is a conservative. He's a constitutionalist. He's on our team. And he just described some behavior that I think has to open your eyes, has to be a little bit repelling, is it not? Well, it's something that you would expect to hear from a different country, that when you don't have a yes man, you fire them. And that's kind of what Barr was getting at here is, I told him the facts, he didn't like that, and I was sent home. And I think we have echoes, Max, of that happening repeatedly in Trump's administration. Remember, I, I, I just remember this recurring riff of introduce the guy for the whatever appointment uh, the cabinet seat he's the best thing that ever walked best on ever. water you know the best big ever. grandiose introduction yes. oh my best friend he's the greatest this is the great and then it, you almost get the sense that behind the scenes one one cross move one disagreement you're out the guy's worthless ah he's a jerk man that the great leaders don't do that trump I think had great policies. I don't think he was a great leader. Now that's going to get me in trouble. The phones may light up. But if you think about his missteps with Mitch McConnell and the way he alienated a lot of people, he alienated John McCain. Had he not made the comment. His own vice president as well. Yeah, well, his own right. Had he not alienated John McCain and made a, a very abrasive and insulting comment about like, well, I can't honor people to get captured. You know, I mean, really? But say what you will about John McCain. That was a that was not a well-informed statement. And who's the guy that gave the thumbs down vote to to de- defanging Obamacare? John McCain. Now, you could push back and say John McCain was small. Why did he do that? Why didn't he vote principal? You know, I don't know. And we'll never know. He's dead. But I'm just saying, I, you could have been a little smarter about the way you relate to people if you really want to get your agenda through to the best, to the, to the most possible, the, the best possible uh, degree you can. 
and again, I'm not. Look, I'm not. I'm not. This is not a rant against Donald Trump as evil, you know, incarnate. But I think his ego and his unwillingness to to really, you know, take into account that you can have differences of opinion within people that are generally within your sphere, and it may be to the better. I told, I, I tell all my new orientees at the hospital, it's like, look. You'll hear me throw a lot of ideas. I'm an idea guy. I throw millions of ideas up on the wall. And maybe one out of 10 in something that doesn't even begin to resemble the form in which I threw it on the wall, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll eke it out. And we ought to all have that mentality. If we launch an idea and it's and it, we get gets modified, it gets improved, it gets refined by people of like mind, good. That's a good thing. That's the way... Real progress is made, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, this it's almost Putin-esque, if you think about it, to just have yes-men all around you. Look what happens. That's what leads you to invade countries with old technology and troops that don't believe in what you're doing. You know, uh, it takes, in America, with our constitutional system, the president cannot lead without people, you know, charging up the hill with him. And that means you need to relate to those people, maybe in a little different way than Donald Trump did. But who am I to lecture Trump? I don't have a bunch of Trump towers and I wasn't elected president. So what do I know? I don't know. Let's find out what an expert on foreign policy, Waleed Ferris, has to say. We'll talk with him just around the corner. I can't wait for that discussion. Stay tuned. Lots more coming up here on 1019-941 News Talk STL. It's the Tobler Show. We may circle Kiev with tanks, but it'll never gain the hearts and souls of the Iranian people. Well, that was uh, that was Joe Biden on the State of the Union the other day. Uh, we're not sure if they're the Uranian people or the Iranian people, but um, we use that as a springboard to talk with uh, one of my favorite guests, and it's always a privilege to talk with Dr. Walid Ferris at Walid Ferris on Twitter, foreign policy expert, co-secretary general of the Transatlantic Parliamentary Group, media analyst, advisor, professor, and author of so many books on uh, analyzing the Middle East, and uh, always has his finger on the pulse. Walid, was that was that just another sign of? Uh, Weakness embodied in our president and translated to the West that compelled Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine, or am I overreading it? No, you are uh, reading it very accurately. This administration, uh, as did the Obama administration for eight years, have been sending uh, signals uh, to Russia, to China, to Iran mostly that uh, we are not basically engaging in the defense of our allies when they are under threat or under pressure. We've seen it in the Middle East. We've seen it with uh, with China. And now, unfortunately, since the Ukraine war started, we are seeing it there. Uh, if you telegraph your idea that you're not going to be standing with the Ukrainians no matter what, well, that's the message that uh, Moscow will understand. And that would basically give the Russians what they need is in a certainty that we will not defend them. We will send them weapons, yes, but not be firm with Russia with regard to Ukraine. You know, you have always a lot of deep insight, and I know you have a lot of insider information, not only in Middle East, but but globally. Um, and I'm wondering what your thoughts are. It's been reported that uh, Putin watchers uh, you know, around the globe and intelligence people are saying that something's different about him. And that's what makes this conflict scary, that potentially there could be a point of escalation where he would, you know, because he's either physically and or mentally ill, push the button 
because he's just going to go down with the ship. He doesn't care. I mean, do you have any sense of whether there's truth to that or is that just people filling time on, you know, on cable news? I've reviewed this very closely compared it with the previous uh, worldwide cases of leaders under stress or leaders actually not very balanced. I actually argue the opposite. I think that uh, President Putin, Vladimir Putin, knows exactly what he's doing. It is not in our interest what he's doing, but he is backed by his system. You know, those who understand Russia, Russia is not, uh, you know, a country ruled by only a dictator it's it's maybe an authoritarian regime it is actually authoritarian regime but it has the army it has the intelligence it has the apparatchik the old uh, uh, used to be called nomenclatura during the soviet times and now it's basically the state the deep state they have a deep state so it is not just about putin now is he under stress yes one can see this psychological experts have confirmed that but it is not him only who is dealing with the issue of ukraine it's a much wider collective institutionalized agencies who are um, who are managing this conflict okay that's good to know because i think a lot of us are on pins and needles and have visions of bomb shelters going back to the 50s and 60s again with the cold war and there's no doubt the cold war has been reignited but i think about the series of, of books that you wrote, starting with Future Jihad, which really mm-hmm. looked at a 30,000-foot view of the, the strategy, the strategic perspective of evildoers in the Middle East. And now, if you translate that, it seems like there's this axis of evil, to use George Bush's term, W. Bush's term, that not only includes Vladimir Putin, but Xi Jinping, uh, Xi Jinping in um, in China, and maybe Kim in North Korea, and and perhaps the Ayatollahs in in Iran, and I mean, are we looking at a jihad of a different type, more of an ideological one with with autocracy and imperialism coming from that group, or one or more of those people? Or I mean, is there a parallel there, or not? Absolutely, Doctor. I mean, uh, we are dealing with this axis, the international alliance of all these regimes that you just mentioned and have refused to acknowledge that it exists. When we, for example, discussed, I think last year, this China-Iran cooperation treaty, which reminds us of the old Soviet cooperation treaties between then the Soviet Union and countries in Eastern Europe, I mean, the reactions were very light in the West. It exists, obviously, and there is a coordination. Some today are saying that China basically has so much interest, it's not going to align with Russia. Forget about it. They are coordinating. Obviously, each one has different uh, interests. Russia has geopolitical interests in Ukraine. We could go back quickly to that point because I need to share something with your with your listeners. But but China basically knows very well that if Russia goes down or Russia is defeated in this purpose, the next target will be China. So mm-hmm. they are uh, linked to, to Russia. They are providing services, not many services in public because China is now a quasi-capitalist state. They have so much mm-hmm. money. They have most of our cash in terms of debt. But China still has goals strategic goals regarding Taiwan, regarding South China Sea, and therefore they have an alliance, and obviously both are supporting uh, Iran. North Korea, no doubt about it, is uh, is part of the Chinese uh, hemisphere or uh, zone of influence. And look at what happened when, when Russia got engaged in Ukraine. 
China started to talk just yesterday about Taiwan, uh, denouncing, quote, unquote, the, uh, the secessionist movement in Taiwan. In the mm. same day, North Korea fires a ballistic missiles just over, over Japan, mm. just to say that we are here. So, yes, they are coordinated, but obviously each one has more specific interests to their own country. Well, we've seen, I mean, Russia for a long time has been supportive of um, evildoers in the Middle East, especially Iran, haven't they? And aren't they, is it likely they're going to accelerate their nuclear program or involved in that, or is that a misread? It is not a mystery because what we know is that um, Iran is getting its uh, ICBMs, the long-range ballistic missiles, mostly from Russia and also some oh. technology from North Korea, perhaps from China. No, there is no doubt about it. I mean, Russia supports Iran strategically. Now, definitely the Iranians wait for a period of time to get the money. And I really blame here the United States, specifically the Obama and the Biden administration for allowing something that is really against rational international strategic thinking, the Iran deal. You know, uh, Doctor, what the Iran deal is going to do, we are going to be next week. I think uh, Biden may may sign. Perhaps we don't know. We'll see. They're going to allow hundreds of millions of dollars, call them billions of dollars, to go to Iran. Now, he wants mm. to secure that deal. What would the Iranians do with that money? They will buy weapons from Russia. Well, the Iran deal to start with <laughs> is funding Russia. And this oh is something God. that it, it, uh, against any rational thinking that I can understand. And that has that has really slipped beneath the radar. I mean, there's with the fog of the Uranian, uh, Ukra- Uranian, <laughs> Ukrainian Russia <laughs> conflict. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of other things happening. Like you say, where there's uh, missiles flying over uh, over uh, Japan, there's a saber rattling towards Taiwan. And now I didn't realize that this was potentially going to be uh, reignited, the, the Iranian uh, deal. And I don't understand where it all comes from, Waleed, because at some point, while I don't think Americans want to recklessly, we were war weary, I get it. Americans are not ready for jumping into kinetic action on any front at some point you have to ask the question at what point do we keep backtracking backtracking to where we're not going to do anything until the missiles are are the submarines are the destroyers are at our at our shores are over our airspace we have to say stop it at some point don't we absolutely that's the term i'm using myself in my social media is regarding ukraine first we need to know or to be actors in where the Russians should stop. Now, we understand the Russians moved to Crimea under the Obama administration, took a little piece of Ukraine in 2014. Now they are, you know, widening what they have covered in 2014. But the question is, how do we communicate to the Russians? And we were good during the Cold War. Democrats and Republicans, when we had those crises, we did, we said no. In the Berlin crisis, remember? No. In the Cuba Missile Crisis, we we put Democrats and Republicans. What is happening now that we are communicating to Moscow that we don't know where the Russians should stop in Ukraine? I've uh, multiple times over the past days said, well, NATO should be able, and the Russians understand that logic. When the Russians are unleashing their campaigns across Ukraine, we can simply say this is a line inside Ukraine. It's now our line. We don't have to put troops on the ground. But this is an air zone, not even a no-fly zone, an air zone across western Ukraine for humanitarian uh, reasons. We could do it. We can do it. And I don't know why 
We are not doing it because at the end of the day, if we don't stop the Russian expansion, they're going to get to the actual borders of NATO. Now they are one country away from NATO. But soon enough, they'll be at the borders of Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, and Romania. It is a question of few weeks. Okay, it's, it's, that's what I'm... The, the whole ruse that, uh, you know, he, he didn't want to have a NATO country, i.e. Ukraine, you know, next to him was part of his supposed rationale, along with restoring Mother Russia slash USSR. Well, now he's going to be bumping right up against NATO with more borders. And it doesn't make any sense. I think it it, I, it just must be trying to restore his dream of the USSR. Let me ask you this. A lot has been said, and, and I believe that had we continued with the Trump energy policy of energy independence, uh, and therefore less dependence on Russian oil and less uh, building up his coffers, that potentially that could have been part of a deterrence strategy so this invasion would have never happened. And B, there would have been a great tonic that Joe Biden could have pulled out and asked America and Russia and everyone to drink by saying, we're going to open our our, uh, oil and gas business on the State of the Union address the other night. So he failed by not expanding on Donald Trump's independence and shutting it down, oil independence, but then failed to reignite it when he had a chance here. It's the greatest lost opportunity of the last century that I can tell. What do you think? Is Would there have been that much leverage in treatment of this uh, of this malady if he would have uh, been more Trumpian in his energy policy? Well, we had those four years. It's not that what would have happened. We had them. And during those four years, because of a new U.S. energy policy, which was which made sense with our national security, Russia was contained for four years. China was contained. Iran actually understood that they cannot play with the United States. So we had four years that showed the world that a U.S. administration, that means business, but at the same time, Trump was ready to speak to everybody. He was ready to hold meetings with everybody. But who was... Who was actually fighting him? The opposition here. I mean, half of the time spent by the previous administration to solve these problems and to put a kind of a wall internationally around our interests to protect them, half of the fight against him was domestic. I mean, from file to dossier to investigation, there was a a full strategic harassment of the previous administration because usually in American politics, foreign policy is bipartisan when it has to do with national security. That wasn't the case in the past four years. So now we are paying the price. Now we see that this administration and its partisans see clearly that the geopolitical foes or competitors are unleashed, are on steroids. It's uh, it's it, this is a worrisome time. I just I think with the nuclear power knocking on NATO's door here, you just wonder if, if as in the past world wars, Walid, uh, history tends to repeat itself if you don't learn from it. And I'm just thinking, my goodness, an ounce of prevention would have been worth a pound of cure here. And, you know, what is it going to take uh, some crazy young Russian who knows nothing of the USSR on, on the western border there of Ukraine sometime in the near future? You know, fire a, something over into Turkey, take out an installation, maybe take out an American, and bingo, we're in a war with a nuclear power. I mean, I'm, I that's that's on the that's on the docket. That's possible, isn't it? 
it's possible, and most of it is actually psychological. So the past four years, when you had a Trump administration, although there were many things that could have been done differently, but in general terms, uh, we communicated messages that were understood in Moscow, in Beijing, and in Tehran. So they have a rationale of their own. They do the calculation. In this case, this year and a half of the Biden administration, we communicated wrong messages. We actually lit green lights without knowing or knowing or orange lights. It was chaos, in my view, in foreign policy when it comes to the protection of America from, from geopolitical foes. Well, I think that we all can be informed from your words, and I hope folks stay in tune with you, Dr. Walid Ferris, at Walid Ferris uh, on uh, on the Twitter, and of course, uh, WalidFerris.com on, uh, on the internet. And to read your books about how these strategic decisions have domino effects downstream that can be catastrophic, and I don't understand why people don't listen to your voice. I don't get it, but we'll continue to broadcast your voice if you'll continue to stay in touch with us. Thanks for uh, all of your reporting on uh, on what's going on there in Ukraine and its consequences throughout uh, that growing af- axis of evil. Thank you for being with me, my friend. I appreciate you very much. Thank you, Doctor, very much. There he is, Walid Ferris. Coming up, Virginia Kruta. Uh, with the Daily Wire to try to help unpack what she knows. She, of course, has uh, some ancestral roots in Eastern Europe. I'm wondering if she's got some insider information. And I want to talk to her about uh, what gas is in her neighborhood and what she thinks about uh, inflationary pressures, too. We'll talk about some domestic policy, too, with Virginia here on The Tobler Show on a beautiful Saturday morning. And uh, we'll be right back, right around the corner. Stay there. Well, we're back. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Walid Ferris. I think it was instructive. I mean, he has a, a beautiful view of geopolitics and and big strategic matters from many different angles, and um, certainly a conservative America First angle. You know, he was an advisor to Trump in foreign policy for a long time, uh, at least in the campaign. I think early early into his administration. So it was it was interesting. Virginia Cruda joins us now, and she has. A, I don't know, uh, Virginia, I think you've got an admirably um, ADD knowledge of so many things. I can't believe how many <laughs> things you write on at the Daily Wire. And I'm, I say that in admiration. I mean, you have your finger on the pulse of domestic issue, foreign policy issue, everything. It's really admirable. So thanks for being with me. Thank you for having me every week. It's great. You know, now I know I, you have you have uh, you have ancestry from uh, what Belgium, right? Isn't that where you were? Where you were, your grand grandpa? Um, well, actually, he well, he, my grandfather served in Belgium during Sir, World Sir, War okay, II. served in Belgium. Um, so you have you but, have a little connection with does, Eastern Europe, right? Yeah, but yeah, and and actually, I I played on Ancestry dot com for quite a while at the beginning of the pandemic because I oh. had nothing else to do, and I do actually have some ancestry in that region, primarily from the UK area. But prior to yeah. that, you know, when you're looking at the the you know fourteen and fifteen hundreds, I had quite a few ancestors in Belgium and Germany and in that area, mm-hmm. moving toward Eastern Europe. Um, but my husband's family is Russian. They're fourth generation American. Okay. Well, so there you go. I, and I'm just fascinated if you, if you, have you had any contact? The reason I ask this, 
at the risk of getting war fever and having that, you know, flavor my whole approach yeah. to this thing, my brother and my nephew spent time on a on a on a um, Christian mission uh, to to the right. Ukraine uh, a decade or two right. ago, and uh, until Thursday evening. They were in contact with the family that they stayed with. And then, of course, now that uh, right. Russia has shut down all social media, they've lost contact. I was hoping to speak with one of their friends. That's frightening because you don't know if it was the social media blackout or if something worse has happened to their friends. But do you have any or your your husband have any you know no. insider information there? No, no, but I I do have a friend, um, a, a former NATO historian and a, a war studies professor that I that I follow closely on Twitter and and talk to occasionally, and he had a close friend message him from Elviv. He was saying, um, I, "I've I've let my wife and daughter. I've dropped off my I've dropped dropped off my dog with a neighbor, mm. and I'm mm. en route to Kiev. And neither both of them had kind of said at the at the end of the conversation, "We don't know that we'll ever see each other again." because oh, of man. just how wow. how horrible things are and you know my friend the historian is he's in the UK and so he's just he's not, and the thing is people don't think about Europe in in America you don't think about Europe the way Europeans think about it and I, I'm saying this having having only been a couple of times but they cross international borders the way we cross state lines Every mm-hmm. time I drive into the radio station, I cross the state line. It's not a big deal to us, just like crossing international borders is not really a big deal to them, especially within the EU. And they're not they're just not that big. I mean, Ukraine, the entire country is the size of Texas, which is big enough, but it's one of the biggest countries in the on the continent. And so you think the rest of these are so small. I mean, I flew into Brussels and drove through the Netherlands and into Germany in less than two hours. Wow. You you cross international borders very quickly. And the reality is they're all looking at this and realizing Putin could cross international borders very quickly. And while, while he kind of has free reign in Ukraine just because of the alliances that are in, in place, you know, NATO isn't going to move unless he attacks a NATO country. Um, and the unfortunate thing is, as long as he stays inside the borders of Ukraine, Putin can basically do what he wants. And unless they're willing to escalate to a potential nuclear war, not one NATO country, including the United States, can do anything about it. We're, we, our hands are tied because of the alliances that we already had going into this conflict. Now, if they... If if they believe that Putin is guilty of war crimes, the, the calculus changes slightly. But until he steps outside of the borders of Ukraine, and there's no telling whether or not he will. And so you see the countries around Ukraine getting very nervous. Um, countries like Estonia um, and uh, Lithuania and all of these former Soviet bloc countries that have already invoked what's called Article 4 um, in the the NATO uh, NATO treaty that says, um, hey, we feel like our borders are being threatened. We need to talk about what's going to happen next. Now they haven't trig- triggered Article Five yet. Article Five is if you attack one of us, you've attacked all of us, and that's when right. the United States is involved, whether we want to be or not. 
Yeah. Because well, you know, there's there's increasing uh, there, Virginia. There's increasing um, calls on both the left and the right to think about a no-fly zone, which would involve us in in air combat. I mean, there's no other way around it. I, right. But I think Biden right. has made and, it clear he's not going to do. Right, and and the unfortunate thing, while I don't necessarily believe, and, and this is where you, it's really difficult to thread the needle when it comes to foreign policy, I don't necessarily believe it's a good idea to implement a no-fly zone over over Ukraine for NATO countries to do this because it is escalatory. I do also think it's a horrible idea to make an announcement that you're not going to do it because you know who hears that announcement. Putin hears that announcement yep. and he now knows he's got free reign in Ukraine. He can do whatever he wants. And as long as he doesn't step the toe out of the border, we're not going to touch him. So he knows that he's got the freedom to do whatever he wants to mm-hmm. a degree. And I, I think it's a mistake to give him that information. Just like I said, when we were leaving Afghanistan, it was stupid to tell anybody when we were, you never give anybody a date. You never, right. you never tell the adversary what your plan is or what the limits of your plan are. Because if you tell them what the limits are, then they're going to push you to those limits. And I think that was part of the reason that Putin didn't mess with Trump, because Trump was, uh, you know, unpredictable. And he bragged about that. And that's a good thing, strategically. Right. You know, I mean, and, there's no doubt about it. That's what I said. If Putin was looking at, at looking across the world for who might stop him, if he looks at Biden, he sees a leader who is afraid to do anything, to make any move without the explicit approval of NATO. And even then, it's probably going to be a paper move, like more sanctions and, and what have you. When, if he had looked across the world and seen Trump, he would have seen a leader who was unpredictable and absolutely willing to act alone when necessary. But I think there is hope, Virginia. I I don't know if you've heard, but um, Kamala Harris, I think, may be the person to really show Putin that she has a spine. She's done a deep, deep dive, done her homework, done her analysis. And um, she was talking to the Sesame Street kids the other day, and she was talking about it. So take a listen to this. I think that she's going to visit Poland and Romania, and I think that we've got an answer to the problem. Take a listen. Russia is a bigger country. Russia is a powerful country. Russia decided to invade a smaller country called Ukraine. So basically that's wrong. So, Virginia, I'm confident that that is just putting the chills up the spine of Vladimir Putin and all the Russian generals. Don't you think so, with Kamala in charge there over in Eastern Europe? Uh, I think that that was probably one of the more ridiculous sound bites that the vice president has allowed to be made. Um, now, granted, no, no, I will say this in, in fairness to her, she wasn't actually on Sesame street. This was a radio interview. I know. I know. We, we produced that. Right. We produced that. We and, had fun with that. Yeah. Right. And, and I don't blame you for doing that because she really did deserve it. But the question was for people who have no idea what's going on, how would you explain it? And so she was kind of instructed to break it down, Barney style, you know, get out your crayons, guys. We're going to do this. 
And I don't know. So, she just in her in this present time. But you still with don't her do that. No, you no, don't with her previous soundbite to be. No, made. and she. I mean, think about the previous Zen Cohen thing that she said. You know. And here's here's that under this context. It is time for us to do what we have been doing. And that time is every day. I would have told the interviewer on the morning hustle, the host, I would have said, look, I, you know, it's pretty simple. We've got an evil guy named Putin who is trying to take it out on a fledgling democracy. And somewhere, somehow, we've got to find a way to stop it. You know, there's a better way to do that if you're Kamala Harris under siege as she has been. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. And I, th- I think that they should have expected. I mean, this is this is a woman who can't competently answer easy questions and they're putting her out there and giving her the hard ones. For what reason? I don't know. Uh, m- maybe so that they can blame her when when Biden loses in in 2024. Or I, I don't know. I don't know what the calculus is going on as far as that's concerned, I do think it's interesting. And I heard somebody talking about this before, and I absolutely agree with it. The number of uh, democratic responses to the state of the union, you know, they let Rashida Tlaib go out and, and give her response. So the squad had somebody front and center. And I think that they did it so that they can say when they get absolutely shellacked in at the end of this year, they can say that the squad is the reason that oh, you know, they're oh. dividing the party, and and that's oh. why Biden can't get any support. Oh, the interesting! Is he's yeah. not getting any support from the middle. You know, right. the, the squad isn't the one stopping his his agenda from going forward. Now they're going to go out there and say, "Well, we didn't go hard enough to the left, and therefore that's why we're not getting anywhere." Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that's what they said. That's what Rashida Tlaib said effectively in her State of the Union response, and. I just think it it really telegraphs the division in the party when you have two Democrats responding to the State of the Union, two different yeah. Democrats. Because Colin Allred from Texas gave a, a different response from the Congressional Black Caucus. Now, he said, you know, we're behind Joe Biden and, and we love what he's doing. But the fact that you needed to get out there and say that, okay. that tells us that, you know, you're divided. Well, we're witnessing the balkanization of uh, of American politics, and uh, you know certainly more on the on the left than the right. We're out of time for this week, but I do want to double down on what we've been talking about here in terms of the division in the left, and and you know maybe yeah. some growing division in the right with what Bill Barr had to say, uh, you know about Donald Trump and where he got fired. That's an interesting conversation. We're out of time though, Virginia. I thank you for being with us and uh, appreciate sure. your time this week. And uh, keep your keep that great writing you do on the Daily Wire up. It's beautiful. Really enjoy reading it all the time. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. There she is, Virginia Cruda. And uh, she's right. I mean, boy, if uh, if Biden has ever abandoned his base, uh, it's now because his base is really the middle of American uh, leftism, right? It's not the his base is not the true squad, but somehow he's deluded into thinking it is. Anyway, hey, that'll wrap it up for this hour. Uh, Top of the hour, we're going to come back and talk about lots more. And we have a special interview with Dr. Frank, who's going to be doing some talking on election integrity. Stay there.